You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Good morning. How are you? As I was coming up, my wife, when Lisa said, served on staff for seven years, my wife said for the second time, when I graduated from Bible college back in a long time ago, a very long time ago, uh, my first appointment was at Grace Covenant, but that was back in the day when it was just called Cornelius Foursquare Church. And it was down by where Habitat for Humanity is. And so uh, we have a great history. In fact, my wife has been part of the Grace Covenant family since probably, in some form, maybe 12 years old. Uh, seven years old, she just said. So that wasn't that long ago, though. <clears throat> we'll just say that. Yeah. So Very good answer. Yes, uh, you learn how to say. Well, um, we are very grateful to be here today together. Uh, uh, and I say we because my wife, my lovely wife, is is with us, with me today, with us. And um, I have the privilege of launching us into a, a new teaching series. And the teaching series is uh, called The DNA of Relationships. <clears throat> but it's interesting, the working title for uh, the series while it was being developed was called Getting Real with Relationships. And so when I began to consider that, that working title, it, it caused me to think a little bit. What does um, what is getting real? What, what, is, what does that really mean? No, so sometimes, uh, uh, let's say Marty might make a, uh, a remark to me, and if I don't believe it, I go, Get real, Marty. That means I really don't believe what you just said. I'd never do that, Marty, because Marty would always tell me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so we'll move on. Um, but other times, he would never exaggerate a story is what I'm saying. <laughs> He's a good fisherman. Uh, but other times, um, you might hear people say uh, about a particular subject, let's just let's get real. When we when we talk about it, and, and that would mean let's let's be authentic, let's be genuine, let's let's be vulnerable when we talk about that. And I think that that's what we want to do when we talk about relationships. Is we want to get real, we want to get authentic, genuine. Uh, we want to be vulnerable about it. However, let's face it: in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, there's really only so much you can do. How how real can you get in 30 minutes? And plus, it's a one-sided conversation. It's not two-sided. I'm going to do all the talking. You are in somewhat, some ways, a captive audience. Please lock the doors now. Uh, <laughs> a captive audience. And so we have to confess that, uh, admit that, really, whatever the topic is on a Sunday morning, in 30 minutes, you can only scratch the surface. So what that means is you have to take what you hear home and ask the Holy Spirit to do something in you that's beyond what happens in this room. That you have to be willing to dig deeper, actually to get real with yourself, because you're never going to get real in relationships until you get real with yourself. I have to get real with myself. It's about self-awareness, and I'll talk about that just a little bit this morning. So um, over the next uh, 30 minutes, we're going to get real as we talk about marriage. And some of you said, oh, yay. And some said, oh, no. And possibly, for many, it was the women who said, oh, yay. And it was the men who goes, oh, no. Again, lock the doors, please. Um, So uh, with that in mind, I want to pray, because real, genuine, authentic, real talk comes through revelation of the Holy Spirit. So we want to invite him to be here. 
Well, he already is. Father God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for that the, the table has been set through worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you were here before any person ever arrived in this place this morning. But you uh, also uh, have been present in the praises that have been lifted up in the hearts and minds of the people. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you over the next little while and beyond to help us just have real discussion uh, about um, relationships and today particularly about marriage. Father God, I pray that this would not just be a, a, a message that I toss at people, but um, it could just be a discussion about about what you have planned for relationships. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, and I want to follow that up. It was something that was in my prayer. Um, I don't want to just throw a message at you today, and, and I don't mean throw in a, in a negative sense, but, um, you know, it's not just about communicating a well-crafted, and, and I will say, I have a well-crafted message. I put my time in, but it's not that I want to just toss a teaching at you, I would rather today be able to really just sit and talk with you. I actually want to talk you through some concepts in my notes. You're going to see me use my notes a lot because I want to be able to just talk about the the concepts of marriage. And again, we're not going to cover every concept, but we're going to cover three important ones. So um, would you, uh, let's, let's begin by talking about relationships in general. Would you agree that everything in life uh, that matters can be boiled down to relationships? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when relationships are good, it seems that life is good. And when relationships are bad, it seems that life is bad. Now, that may be just a perception, but it's really how it goes. Think about in your marriage. If you're married between husband and wife, when the relationship is good between the husband and wife, doesn't life seem really good? But what about when the relationship isn't so good? Between the husband and wife. Does life, at least in your perception, seem bad? Yeah, I see nodded heads. Same with parental relationships between parent and child. When relationships are going really well with your children, life seems really good. But when relationships with your children aren't going as well, in your perception, life seems really bad. It really can't. And when you watch your children go through very challenging, difficult, difficult times, life can seem really bad. And the same in friendships. When friendships are going really good, life seems really good. But when friendships hit the skids, what life, at least in perception, seems bad. Uh, and we could carry that on into any relationship that we could imagine. Why is this true? And the answer, my answer is, I think that it's uh, founded in the basic DNA of relationships. So I want to just quickly give you at least three of the distinctives of the DNA of relationships. And here's the first one. Uh, We're made for relationships. We were created for relationships. Think about it. Uh, After God created uh, all of creation and he created Adam, just before he finished creation, uh, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. In other words, God had made everything. He'd made all the animals. Uh, Adam had named all the animals. And at the end, he was, his thought had to be, none of them are like me. And so God formed woman out of man. And then that was the suitable helper because it's not good that we're alone. So we were made for relationships. We are made for the capacity to choose. So in other words, um, we have the, the, the capacity to choose who we have a relationship with. 
You don't have to have a relationship with everybody you come in contact with. In fact, there's no way possible. There's some people you choose not to have a relationship with. You go, no way. I'll never have a relationship with him. Never say never, okay? Um, but the, the point is you choose. But more importantly than that, I think that what we have to emphasize is that we have the capacity to choose what we contribute to a relationship. Our attitudes, uh, what comes from our heart. Our, our behaviors, our actions. And so we have a choice. We can contribute what is good and healthy for our relationship, or we can contribute what is not so good, what is dysfunctional for a relationship. And that really leads into the third uh, distinctive, the DNA of relationships. We are made to take responsibility for ourselves. We're made to take responsibility. We are supposed to. We are made. We have responsibility to take uh, to take responsibility for the actions, the attitudes, all that we contribute to a, to a relationship. And it means when relationships go bad, don't just immediately stop and blame someone else. Don't blame the other person. But you have to step back and say, what have I contributed to this relationship that would make it go bad? Because I'm responsible for that. And that, again, is about self-awareness, being willing to look inside because we all bring good to relationships. But let's face it, we all bring something that's not as healthy to a relationship. So how does that play in the marriage? How does it play in the marriage? Well, unfortunately, far too often, so many couples put great effort and great energy in planning a wedding. It's so fun and very expensive, uh, but there's so much fun in it. But unfortunately, they don't put the same amount of time in planning the marriage that will follow, hopefully, for a lifetime. And far too often, uh, after the wedding, so many couples just think, well, the marriage, it's just going to happen. And if you were to ask them, so how's that working out for you? <laughs> May, may not, you may not get the best answer, at least maybe after being married a couple of years. I'm not being negative about marriage. I love marriage. I'm just, let's, let's face it. I mean, you know, a couple of years you got a honeymoon, and then life really happens, uh, and things, things can change. And so, you know, you, it, it's, it, it, the thing is, is that the reality is a thriving marriage requires work. And it requires a, a lot of work. A healthy, thriving marriage relationship has no choice but to be founded on the belief that marriage is God's idea. And to build, to build a fulfilling, lasting marriage, uh, we have to build that marriage relationship on the belief that God has a plan for marriage. And that's the only way to build. So I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, you may have your Bible on your phone. That's perfectly okay. You might not have one today. I do, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. Here's what it says. Beginning in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the, uh, of the field, the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib 
he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of me. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And then it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So within that passage, we find three of the necessary principles for a healthy marriage. It's not all the principles, but it's three foundational principles. And the first of these principles, very simple, it's the principle of leaving. The principle of leaving. In other words, when you marry, you have to leave. Think about it. When you marry, you have to leave. The marriage relationship must take priority over every other earthly relationship. I was thinking about this, and I, 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 I concluded, I think I've come up with a great element that should be added to every uh, wedding ceremony. So, as pastor, in the, in the ceremony you say, um, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And the, the, the bride and groom uh, walk out the church and they go and they're, they're headed off to the reception. Here's what I think should be added into that, that I now pronounce you husband and wife. The couple start down the aisle, but they make a stop. And each moves over and has a conversation with their parents. And so the wife, the new wife says, Mom and Dad, I love you so much. And I am so thankful for everything that you've done for me in my life, for how you raised me, for all that you provided for me, how you've cared for me. I am so thankful. But I have to tell you something, and please don't misunderstand it, but today our relationship changed. There's someone new in my life. I still love you, but where you used to be priority, now he is priority. And, and the husband should be having the same conversation Uh, As he stops and he talks to his parents, Mom, Dad, I love you so much. You have been such wonderful parents, and you have provided for me, and you've loved me, and you've cared for me. You've prepared me for this time, but today I, I want you to know something. I love you so much, but today our relationship is changing. You used to be priority in my life, but now there's someone else. I have a wife. And, and, and that's where my priority lies. What, what, could you imagine if that began to happen in every wedding ceremony, how much trouble and how much heartache, if adhered to, could be saved? I mean, honestly, think about it. Because you set the boundaries right away. You see, uh, I could talk about this a lot. I'm going, to, I, I'm going to talk about it some more. I was just about to kind of give away some of the other stuff. So let me define relationship before we go on any further. The dictionary, best place to go, right, defines relationship as the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. The way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected. So with this in mind, let that be the template you lay over marriage. Here's what it means. Uh, The marriage relationship takes priority over relationship with mom and dad, uh, with children, with work, with sports, with hobbies, with addictions, with anger, with the past, or with any other object or concept or person that would want to take priority over your marriage relationship. Uh Uh-uh. 
It's husband and wife. The only relationship that's more important than your relationship with your husband and your wife is your relationship with God. And think about this. If if as a couple you will both place God first, if you see him at the top and you see yourselves here, as you draw closer to him, what happens? You're drawing closer to each other. That's the order that it should happen. There's, I, I could talk about each one of these individually, but I, I want to spotlight one. Um, the passage says a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Far too often I've seen destruction. So I have 30, about 35 years of pastoral ministry. And so often I've seen great destruction in marriage because couples fail to leave. Think about it. They fail to leave. Destructions, destruction comes when relationships with mom or dad take priority over the relationship with a spouse. Remember the element I just added into the wedding ceremony uh, a few moments ago? Well, here's what often happens, and it's really why that uh, should be added. Uh, I now pronounce you husband and wife. The uh, couple starts down the aisle, and suddenly the, the, the husband realizes he's walking like this. You know where I'm going with this, right? He looks, he turns around, and there's mom holding on for dear life. I'm going into this marriage with you. You might think she came first, but buddy, I, I, I'm the one. You came out of me. If you think we're getting ready to sever right now, you've got something else to think about. You know what needs to happen, right? And, 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 and it, can happen, it can happen with the wife. Oftentimes with the husband, it's, it's, it's the, the mom. But oftentimes with the wife, it's dad. Dad has a hard time letting go. And what has to happen is if you didn't make that stop on the way out to start with, you, you do it right now and you say, okay. Let's get real. This won't work. I, I just changed priority. Something just happened. Uh, I love you, but my priority isn't you anymore. I still love and respect you, but everything changed today. So mom or dad, let go. Mom, I said let go. <laughs> really, let go. If you have to wedge her off, Listen, husbands, if you have to peel her hands off, if it gets a little uncomfortable, a little awkward, for the sake of your marriage, you do it, and you do it immediately. Because you don't want to invite destruction. And moms, thank you for all that you contribute to marriages. Dads, thank you for all you contribute. I am a, uh, uh, but, you know, I have married, a married son, so I get this, you know. And I've had to be peeled off a few times, so... We'll move on from there. (laughs) In marriage, in the marriage relationship, the husband and wife must continually invest in the marriage relationship as the first priority over all earthly relationships. We are to give time, attention, and care to the spouse first. That's that's the principle. That's the principle of leaving. But it has a partner. That's a very necessary partner, and the partner is the principle of cleaving. So you leave and you cleave. What is cleaving? We don't really use that word in conversation much today. Hey, what are you doing? I'm just going to go cleave for a while. We just think we don't really use it. So 
some, I've come to realize lately, oftentimes I use words, and I don't really know what they mean. I just, I've heard them all my life. So, so what is cleaving? What does it really mean? It means to adhere closely, to stick to, to cling to, to remain faithful to. So how, how do leaving and cleaving partner together in marriage? It's going to sound redundant. In fact, I, I, I told Cammie last night, I said, I know that this is supposed to be a marriage message, but I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned it might be more of a parenting message. Uh, listen, in, par- in, uh, in partnership, leaving and cleaving redefine the parent-child relationship. You hear that? It redefines. It, 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 they become a catalyst to, uh, for a, a positive severing. Uh, not an ending, but a, a severing of a relationship. You sever the stickiness that you had in one relationship. So the stickiness that you needed to have with your parents prior to, and you you redirect that. And so I love you, but I'm not sticky to you anymore. Um, I, 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 that just changed. It's a, it's a redirection, moving it into the the new, the necessary relationship. So what does cleaving look like? Well, in marriage, to cleave, that to stick to, to cling to, to remain faithful, is built on the understanding that marriage is a covenant relationship based on commitment. In other words, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Many couples today, and I don't think it's just today, I think it's gone back a while, many couples go into marriage with a contract mentality. So let, let's just look really quickly at really quickly at some of the differences between contracts and covenants. Contracts are made for a limited time. Say if you lease a car, you lease it for 36 months, 48 months, and at the end, that contract is is it's, it's over. Um, contracts often deal with specific actions. Contracts are based on a mentality that says, "If you do this for me, I will do this for you." It's conditional. Contracts are motivated by the desire to get something. So think about it. If you go into the marriage with a contract mentality, you're saying, what are you going to give to me? What's the payoff going to be? In contrast, covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Contracts are based on unconditional promises. Contracts are uh, covenants. uh, Let me go back in case I said uh, covenants are based on unconditional promises. Covenants are based on steadfast love. Covenants view commitments as permanent till death do us part. So often in 34 years of 35 years of pastoral ministry, I can't tell you how many times that I or Cammie have gotten a phone call from either a husband and wife who are just broken on the, on the other end of the phone and say, she told me or he told me tonight doesn't love me anymore. In fact, said he or she never loved me. You know what that tells me? That the marriage was built on a contract and it was based on feelings. Let's face it. There are days when you probably don't feel like you love your spouse. When they make you mad, do you feel like you love them? <laughs> there are times I'm sure Cammie wakes up in the bed next to me in the morning and says, Oh, what happened? <laughs> I didn't know I married his dad. <laughs> think, think about it. I mean, there are things that happen in marriage and you don't feel like you love, but marriage is not based on emotion. Marriage is not based on feeling. But marriage is a commitment. 
It's a covenant that comes in the sight of God. And you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for whatever comes, till death do us part. That's That's what a covenant is. The concept of leaving and cleaving is the act of being so committed to the marriage relationship that you don't allow the issues of life to bring separation. So here's what that means. As husband and wife, when issues arise, you address the issues that could bring division. The key is addressing them in the right manner, right? Addressing doesn't mean starting to yell and scream, I can't believe you did this to me. You always do this to me. You know, you walk out the door. That's not the right way. It means that you address them in a very healthy manner. Um, Some of you may have heard me tell this before, but... My wife, in her great wisdom, developed some years ago a great principle. It's called the three-day principle. And the three-day principle is that um, in the many times that I do things that just really kind of tick her off, she's learned that she doesn't say that to me right away. She, she thinks about it, actually, for three days. And actually, she's actually been pretty good about it. Um, after three days, after offering it to the Lord, looking within herself, becoming very self-aware, if at the end of three days there's still the feeling that we need to talk about this, then I would hear something like this. Um, Do you have some time? Could we talk for a while? And when I hear that, I'm going, oh, no. (laughs) What have I done? Fortunately, it doesn't happen too often uh, now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've learned a few things. (laughs) Um, But... It's about doing it the right way. And one of the right ways is that uh, you have to learn to address the issues with grace and forgiveness. And that's not always easy. It, It really isn't always easy, but you have to learn because this is what you're contributing to the relationship. And then you have to make time for ongoing communication. You have to learn how to have healthy talk. In other words, you got to work on your emotional maturity. You get what I'm saying? I mean, don't bring 15-year-old Stan into the conversation. Bring 57-year-old Stan into the conversation who has worked at letting God allow him to transform himself by work of the Holy Spirit. So I have, my emotional maturity has been moving along. Um, just a little insert right here. Uh, Pete Scazzaro, who t- talks about, uh, teaches emotionally healthy spirituality, says that emotional maturity and spiritual maturity are inseparable. You cannot say, I am spiritually mature and be emotionally immature. Think about that one. That's a whole other series of messages that I would love to be able to talk to you about sometime, but not today. Um, we've heard it said that communication is key in marriage, and I really believe that, but I don't think it's the key. I think communication has to be partnered with self-awareness. Listen, it's not always the other person's fault. I am responsible for what I contribute to the relationship. And the only way I'm going to take responsibility is if I'm willing to do the hard work and look inside and begin to search out this personality that God gave me and, and how the, the things from my family of origin that I've allowed to come in and uh, the things that I've just developed myself along the way. And then I would say, okay, uh, okay, I, I, we've got to be self-aware before we can communicate well. And then finally, there's a third partner in the, in the uh, principle in the partnership. It's not a duet, but it's a, it's a triad. 
And the, and the final principle is that of weaving. Weaving. And in marriage, weaving is empowered by investment. The marriage relationship requires the ongoing investment of your whole self. You cannot invest your whole self if you're not willing to be emotionally mature and you're willing to be self-aware. You'll, you'll never be able to do it. Trust me on that. Um, the marriage relationship will be what two individuals make it, what they choose to make it. It can be really, really good or it can be really, really bad. It's, it's a matter of choice. It depends on how you invest. I came across this definition of weaving in the uh, uh, technical sense, uh, and so I, I thought it was very interesting because it, uh, it, it uh, applies to, to marriage. Weaving is the method of textile production in which two distinct sets of yarns or threads are interlaced at right angles to form a fabric or cloth. In other words, many threads or strands are woven together to form one unique Peace. That's exactly what happens in marriage. I got a basket of yarn and thread, and Cammie has a basket of yarn and thread. Uh, when I came into our marriage, I had a pretty big basket, and um, it was pretty good. I mean, I gave my heart to Christ when I was six. I had a great discipleship. Um, not necessarily the best home life, but God was very gracious, and um, so I, I, I pretty much thought my, my basket of yarn was, was, was pretty good. And so I went to work weaving. I started weaving what I knew in, into the fabric of our marriage. Um, but along the way, I realized, oh my goodness, some of these strands of yarn or thread are kind of weak. Um, fortunately, God gave me a wonderful wife who, and I say this in a very positive way, helped me realize that. I remember one day she just said, this is not normal. <laughs> and, and I didn't know what she was talking about because I thought it was. Because it's what I learned. Honestly, it came from my family of origin. I handled conflict the same way my parents did. We yelled and screamed. We never brought resolve. And two days later, after giving the refrigerator treatment, then we just acted like nothing ever happened. I didn't realize that it was bad. It was weak. Cammie would have a similar story. She, would, she had a great basket of thread. Many of you know her, of her somewhat of her spiritual legacy, her, her history. Um, her parents, C.B. and Shirley Newton, and the, the, the spiritual influence that they had in the north end of the county. And, and she was raised in that. But... And in this large basket of great thread, she would say, but there was some yarn in there that was weak. So whereas in my family, we yelled and screamed and never brought resolve. In her family, she would say, well, if conflict arose, my dad went outside and my mom locked herself in the bathroom and they never talked about it. So imagine bringing those threads into our marriage, what that looked like. That's why... You know, not only was she telling me I wasn't normal in the how I dealt with it, but she's saying, I'm not normal. This isn't normal. And so we had to do work. We had to begin to work at reweaving that cloth. And some of those damaged threads had to be pulled out. And it took going before the Lord. And it, it took learning how to communicate together. And honestly, it took going to counseling. It took all of those things to, uh, so that emotional maturity could be developed, so that we could weave a right cloth of marriage together. And so with that, the moral of the story is that it's not simply about weaving your yarns of 
life strands together, but it's about weaving the right life strands together. And again, you can only do that through self-awareness. So how is a, I'm closing up now, how is a healthy marriage cloth woven together? There's, there's so much. Again, you can only scratch the surface in 30-ish minutes. Um, but here are a few. A healthy marriage cloth is woven when we commit to the leaving and cleaving process. You've got you to gotta leave and you've got to cleave. It, it, it's woven together when we're courageous enough to live in a state of self-awareness. It's woven together in a healthy manner when we give up our perceived right to be right. It's got to be built on a foundation of trust through honesty. That's communication, honest communication that builds trust. It's woven together as we try to be the biggest servant in the house. Philippians chapter 2, being the same mind, the same attitude as Christ who was willing to humble himself, empty himself. And it's woven together when we are grateful for our spouse and we don't take them for granted. Dr. Billy Graham, who's so full of wisdom, unfortunately we lost him this year, but heaven's great gain. Uh, This is what he said about marriage. A good marriage is not made in heaven, but on earth. Love is a fragile commodity which needs to be cultivated and nourished constantly. He went on to say these things about marriage. He says, I could say much about building a strong marriage, but I've sometimes summarized them in four simple points. All of them begin with C. He says, first, cherish. God gave you to each other. You are God's gift to your spouse. Take time to express your love, both by your words and by little acts of thoughtfulness. A surprise gift, a special time away, a favorite dinner. Cherish your wife and let her know she is important to you. Communicate. Let each other know what's going on in your life, at home, and at work. Don't clam up. Don't nag or only express yourself when you're upset. The Bible says a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Compromise. The greatest enemy of love is our selfishness. But in marriage, you can't always have your own way. So learn to compromise with grace. The Bible says love does not demand its own way. And finally, Christ. Make Christ the center of your lives and your marriage every day by committing yourself to Him and His will. He is the solid foundation we need in our lives and in our marriages. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank You. Thank You that You gave the perfect plan for marriage. Thank You, Lord, for the principles of leaving and cleaving and weaving. Father God, I pray that as we take these simple principles away from here today, that we would go and the real work would begin once we get home as we become willing to look inside of ourselves to be self-aware and to determine what is it that I'm contributing to my marriage relationship? What do I need to change? What do I need to adjust? Lord, for those who are kind of stuck in that leaving, cleaving, and there's there's some outside interference, um, I pray that you would give them wisdom to deal with that and courage to deal with that. And Father God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit just take these words and push them deep down in our hearts uh, that we can have true transformation, that we could become emotionally mature so that we could become spiritually mature. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.